This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Well, make it so, number one. What? These aren't the droids we're looking for. In an insane world, it was the sanest choice. Silencio Bruno. And my axe. Hey, fellas. Either one of you know where the Smithsonian is? I'm here to pick up a fossil. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Geeks out on Joy 94.9. You're going to need a bigger boat. Simon Barrett is a filmmaking triple threat, actor, director, and writer. He is best known for his works on such horror and thriller projects as Your Next, VHS2, and The Guest. Simon has not one but two films hitting the shutter screens in September and October, the horror thriller Seance and the next installment of the VHS franchise, VHS 94. Simon Barrett, thank you and welcome to Geeks Out. Oh, thank you for having me. We're delighted. I actually am a really big fan of your work and um, I've seen both the films, they're fantastic. Congratulations on them both. Oh, thank you so much. That's awesome. Um, so, as I said, you're a bit of a triple threat, writer, actor, director. What do you kind of get out of each role? Well, you won't see me acting again, I think, ever. Uh, okay. Because <laughs> I, I think I think I've decided that that uh, I'm not very good at that, and 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 truthfully, like like my my peak performance is probably my role as the Tiger Mask Killer in your next, uh, where I wear a mask for the entire time and have no dialogue, and spend most of the movie lying on the floor, face down in a pool of blood. So that was the kind of roles that I was like casting myself in was roles that I like really didn't know that I'd be able to get another actor to be willing to do on a film like that. Um, Fair enough. You know, like I initially, you know, my career started, uh, I, you know, and I was very fortunate to, to, to have this luck, at, uh, you know, when I was in kind of my mid twenties, um, you know, I wrote a small horror script for myself to direct and ended up actually selling it to a studio. Uh, that film was called Dead Birds and it ended up getting made in 2003 um, and, and, you know, the, but the studio, you know, that was just because I, I went to cast a buddy of mine from film school and he was the assistant to like an executive and he liked the script. So I ended up selling it, you know, and they hired another director, but then I was just a screenwriter, which is a great career, but that film didn't do great. And so, you know, so that, so I kind of, you know, my career kind of stalled until I started working with Adam. Um, and, you know, and then, you know, once Adam kind of reached the point where, you know, he didn't need me heavily producing these films. I kind of started thinking like, I need to really get back to this idea of directing myself. Um, Cause you know, in the early movies, I was much more involved as a producer because we only had like, you know, five person crew on like, you know, the first VHS or horrible way to die. Um, you know, but, but once we got to movies like the guest, I was just basically sitting around at craft services, bothering the actors, <laughs> you know, there was nothing for me to, there was nothing for me to do really. Uh, and I couldn't justify casting myself in these films because I'm not as good an actor as anyone we could cast. Um, so I started to realize like, well, you know, Adam's going off to do death. No, you know, I need to figure out, you know, what directing is for me. And, and I love directing, you know, I, I, I really like, you know, being able to make those creative choices. And, and I, and I think I'm, you know, I, I think I, do have, you know, a talent for it based on, you know, my experience producing these low budget films, but you know, it, it's, it, I guess that's not for me to say, but yeah. <laughs> well, I think uh, you've done a great job of seance anyway. So um, your projects have a tendency to subvert the expectations of the viewer. Is that what you aim for from the start or is it just kind of how it develops? Well, you know, we found out with a horrible way to die, which I, I have, I, I mean, this is like a very micro budget film. So referencing it is, is guaranteed to be a reference that appeals to no one, but nonetheless, <laughs> 
uh, I can only continue uh, because we, you know, Horrible Did I was kind of the first feature that Adam and I made together. And among other things, it's kind of a depressing black comedy drama that people, you know, expected to be a bit more of an extreme horror thriller based on this title. So I got to see kind of what happens when you surprise an audience, but not in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it led me to kind of a different philosophy with your next, which is, you know, if, if you're telling people they're going to get a certain type of movie, you have to deliver on that before you can consider surprising them. You know, in other words, whatever, you know, if I'm asking you to come out to the multiplex and pay, you know, 15 bucks for a ticket to see, you know, a horror film, I have to at least deliver on your bare expectations of what that horror film, you know, I've promised is based on the trailer, based on the title, whatever. On top of that, you can like people love it when you surprise them, but you have to deliver first. So, so that's kind of, that's kind of it. I try to, I think with every film I do, I try to fulfill what I think the satisfaction people would want from that narrative. And obviously I'm not able to really think in this kind of calculated way, you know, stories kind of just are what they are, you know, sometimes characters will tell you what they're going to do on the page, but I try to like always think of like, who's this film for when I'm writing it, you know, cause there's really no point in adding another unproduced screenplay to my endless uh, files of them on my computer. So, you know, so I'm always kind of trying to think of like, like, how do you, how do you surprise people? How do you subvert their expectations in a way that nonetheless satisfy those, satisfies those expectations? Uh, I guess in other words, but I do, I do try to do that because my favorite thing as a viewer uh, is essentially when a film surprises me, you know, as a viewer, if a film, if a twist gets me, uh, you know, I still just like love that. And I'm glued to the screen and I'll turn off my, you know, filmmaker brain and start just like immersing myself in the reality of a movie. If it, if, if it can hook me with a twist, uh, a twist or two. So, yeah. So that, that is kind of my favorite thing. I, you know, I, I, I you know, every film is different of course, but yeah, I, I do love that. So essentially you're writing what you love. So, yeah. I, I, and I think that is it. I mean, I think, I think people, you know, hopefully sense a bit of like a joy of filmmaking in both my work and Adam Wingard's, Cause you know, we both kind of, you know, grew up way outside of Hollywood, you know, both of us, you know, from kind of small towns and, and working class backgrounds. And, and, you know, I think we do approach this with just like a love for, for what we're trying to do. And, and I hope that does get across because movie making movies is actually a miserable experience. <laughs> um, you know, it's not the kind of thing anyone ever wants to hear anyone complain about, but you know, you are working, you know, endless hours and stress puking. Cause like, you know, you lost a location, you know, a day before filming there and stuff like that. Um, you know, so it, it, you do kind of want to embrace the love of that kind of storytelling that inspired you to begin with. And, and I do love watching movies and consuming fiction still like to this day more than just about anything. You know, that's what I do. When I have free time, I go to a movie theater. So. Nice. Uh, tell us about seance in your own words. Uh, you know, seance was kind of my attempt to do, you know, I, I, I guess I hesitate to say like an American version of a giallo because I guess it's more a Canadian film uh, with British financing. Um, but, uh, you know, whatever, an English language giallo, essentially, you know, I wanted to do kind of uh, an old fashioned murder mystery, but with, you know, a bit of the kind of supernatural, you know, elements of, of the kind of films, of the kind of horror films that I enjoyed as a teenager. I was kind of trying to do just like a version of the films that initially like really made me start studying cinema, which tended to be these kind of slasher movies of the 80s, sort of culminating with Wes, Cra- Wes Craven's uh, and Kevin Williamson's Scream, which, you know, was a movie that like is like the Rosetta Stone <laughs> for like, my understanding of cinema. You know, it, like I watched it so many times that I like started to like 
understand what what they were doing a little bit um and you know it's just a certain type of film that i love so it's you know it's a girls boarding school murder mystery uh you know it's a series of murders at a girls boarding school and and they have to figure out what's going on they think it's a you know a ghost that's haunting the halls um and it sort of is and that's that (laughs) Yeah. Don't want to give too much away. Um, much of your work is very female centric. What takes you in that direction? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, 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 you know, the next, the thing that I'm writing right now is, is actually mostly male characters. I, 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 I don't want to just like give you a non-answer to that, but I, I really do kind of think like my stories somewhat dictate the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know, you know, Seance felt like a female driven story for, I guess, a lot of reasons, mainly just because a lot of the stories that inspired it were female driven and it felt like the right genre, but it also was the characters and the relationships and the kind of like um, the kind of sense of like two people making a connection who, uh, you know, hadn't before, you know, it, it felt like it lent itself more to just being that sort of environment. Um, but I don't know. I, I really, I, I have to say, I never think like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to write a story with like a strong female character because I think um I, I think that's kind of insincere. And, and if you're thinking in that way, you're kind of already in the wrong place. Like, I don't need movies to tell me that like women can be strong. You know, my, my jujitsu sensei was a woman and, and she was one of those terrifying people I've ever met in my life. You know, she, my, my jujitsu sensei who was female could, uh, could, you know, take your little finger and, you know, make you dance. So I don't need like a Marvel movie to tell me that like women can be tough. Um, I, I, I think, you know, I think the narrative and the story kind of just like tells you who the characters should be. And then I go in that direction. So I never think, you know, of necessarily like my character's gender or sexuality as like a starting point, uh, I guess necessarily, um, I guess, because I just think that might come across as pandering in some way. I don't want to be careful here because obviously everyone has their own creative process and, and mm-hmm. someone else who maybe has you know, a different experience than me. Maybe that is the way they approach their art and that's totally valid, but maybe just, and maybe just me as like a white male, I just have a different approach to, you know, creativity and that's totally, you know, hopefully fine. But, uh, but yeah, my approach is, is, is I kind of find the story first and then the characters kind of tell me who they are. Um, and I know that sounds like a non-answer, but it, it truly is kind of the only one I can give. Um, yeah. No, it's a great answer because you're talking about the authenticity of the, of the film and where it comes out from there. So Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I would never want to do anything like for just like insincere reasons or like, like I was trying to like manipulate the audience into feeling a certain way. Uh, I I just think like you have to be respectful towards your characters and your audience. And I think if you have respect for your characters, that just kind of naturally comes across. Um, I think in the slasher genre, of course, it's, it's common to not have that much affection or affinity for your characters. They're kind of cannon fodder, but I, I really like all the characters in Seance. And I think as long as you're writing characters, you enjoy like hearing them talk on the page, you know, that kind of instinctively, I hope instinctively, I hope that guides me uh, and prevents me from ever writing a character that's, you know, uh, a stereotype or, or something that annoys people in some way. I hope that just like having that creative uh, goal, uh, you know, will basically steer me in the right direction. But obviously uh, people will tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Um, when being part of a film like VHS, uh, where you're not the only writer and director who's involved, how does that creative process work? Process, process work? Well, now I've been involved now in three VHS films, uh, the first two, and now I've come back for this fourth one. And, and it's a very different process, this fourth one. Um, you know, in the first two, it was really just the filmmakers kind of went off and, and did their own short films, essentially. And then they kind of sent them 
to us and, and we kind of assembled them into a feature and, you know, everyone kind of knew basic guidelines of how to shoot, but, um, but, you know, like David Bruckner would do his in Atlanta, you know, in the first VHS and, you know, everyone was kind of doing these things as like satellite productions uh, for VHS 94, which was done during, you know, kind of the COVID-19 shutdown, we actually did kind of like do it in a COVID bubble. Um, but none of the filmmakers were kind of really there at the same time, except me and Ryan Prowse were both in Toronto at the same time. So we kind of piggybacked our crews and were a bit, a bit collaborative, but mostly we we're just too busy uh, to really collaborate. So it was, it was kind of, it's kind of a weird experience. This, the, um, the short version is this is the first time I've ever been just like a segment director um, which is kind of why I came back to do VHS 94 is because I'd always wanted to just be a segment director because I always kind of thought I had a cool idea for like a VHS segment. And, you know, that wasn't the wraparound, um, which, you know, can kind of be a thankless chore because <laughs> you have to accommodate, you know, a, a certain very specific structure that involves people watching TVs and so on. If you're doing a, a VHS wraparound and I love old horror anthologies and I love the wraparound and, you know, the kind of crypt keeper segments of it all. So, you know, I, I, I like that tone. With this, it was just, you know, I got to just do my own segment and uh, and kind of keep it a contained thing. And, and that was uh, that was nice. And, you know, then you then you just hope basically that Timo is not going to outdo you too much on the gore. And <laughs> of course he does. And you're like, well, shit, um, you know, at least my segments before Timo's in the film. And then you feel good about that. Definitely. Uh, look, it's a great segment. I really enjoyed it. Um, oh, thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, VHS movies have a way of unsettling the audience in a way sort of other films don't. What do you think brings that element to the movies? Well, you know, we designed the first VHS, you know, the, the first VHS, Adam and I filmed the wraparound before anything else shot and we filmed it actually before we shot your next. Um, so we had like no success to our names uh, and we were just really trying to make something that would be difficult to ignore. And we did kind of try to embrace the notion of doing something that felt a little unsafe you know, it, it would feel like a, like a sleazy videotape that you like found in, at like a flea market somewhere. Um, if that reference tracks to Australia, um, you know, but like some, like something you literally might find in the trash, you know, and VHS technology in particular is very interesting because, you know, super eight and 16 millimeter kind of have these warm connotations of, of nostalgia, but early video. And, and it's, it's kind of like actually with that film, you know, it, it makes things beautiful, like kind of super eight, video makes things very ugly um, and particularly VHS video, you know, makes things very harsh and, and, and it, it has a certain verisimilitude that you're just not used to seeing. You're just not used to seeing kind of horror footage that looks that like ugly. And because we were making the movie so cheaply, we were actually shooting it, you know, on VHS uh, on actually a VHS camera that I got for my, my 13th birthday. It was a combined gift from my divorced parents. And uh, we broke it on that movie, but Adam like figured out that if you hit the battery, it would create a glitch and like, you know, we were really making a movie in a way that like no one would ever allow you to make a movie that cost any money. Um, and I do think that that led to like kind of a different feeling, you know, like people saw the first VHS and they're like, well, this, this isn't adhering to any kind of like rules of cinema that I can like necessarily follow. Certainly not in the way it like looks, you know, like, and so I think because of that, you know, they were there, we got over that little, um, suspension of disbelief hurdle that you try to get over as a horror filmmaker, especially when you're making found footage horror, right. Where like, the whole thing is trying to design an immersive experience that the viewer doesn't really think about very much, but you have to get over that little, like I'm watching a movie. Why are they filming this hurdle? Uh, and then, you know, and then the VHS movies have a wonderful, and this is, I guess the last I'll say about this, cause I got really long winded on this one for some reason. Uh, but they, the, the VHS movie is, it, it's, it was a, it was a brilliant idea on Brad Miska's part. Cause the problem with found footage is really, it's hard to go past a certain amount of time 
and, and still imagine that people would be like holding a camera. Right. But as long as the stories are about 15 to 20 minutes, you can kind of buy that people are still filming and they're still rolling and they haven't run out of batteries or anything yet. So, so found footage, I think in particular, like, like no one had really thought of this, but it particularly lends itself to kind of the horror short format. Cause you can just do these like ideas. Like I think my segment in VHS 94, for example, uh, I am, I am, I'm proud of it, but I don't think it would work at, at much greater length than it does. I, I think you'd start to get bored with it, uh, maybe, or 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 I'd have to deliver more things that I wouldn't maybe be able to pull off completely. It's really perfect at about 16 minutes. So so I think that's part of it. Is 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 you know it, we just got really lucky in that you know by by doing everything found footage, the films have a stylistic uniformity that makes people really feel like they're watching something like a little unsafe and a little bit cursed. Uh, and we, we certainly try to make them feel that way. You know, we want when you watch a VHS movie and like the glitchiness starts that, you, you know, it should feel like you're watching like something that like itself is kind of haunted, um, even if the movies themselves are, are actually quite silly. <laughs> um, you know, but that's the fun, you know, that's the Halloween experience that we're trying to like evoke. Amazing. Uh, both Seance and VHS 94 drop on the Shutter service in late September and early October, retrospectively. Sorry, not retrospectively respectively. Um, uh, Simon Barrett, thank you so much for joining Geeks Out. Thank you, Clayton. Appreciate it. Thank you. Joy. Miranda Sparks here with Clayton Wimshurst and Tamsin. Before you heard Clayton talking to writer-director Simon Barrett with his latest film dropping on Shudder on the 29th of this month, Seance, starring Suki Waterhouse, Madison Beattie, and Inanna Sarkis. I've got a quick trailer for you right now. This is Seance. Camille Meadows. It's fortunate that a space has opened up for you here at Edelwein. Our climate can be quite competitive. This is our table. Scram. No, I'm good here. <laughs> that light keeps flickering. It must be the ghost again. Some girl supposedly killed herself in the dorms years ago. I'm not sure I believe it. What if I told you there's a way we can find out? So you're gonna do a seance? Spiritus oratio nostra. Oporte loquantur intervos. I have tragic news. One of your classmates passed away tonight. I really think we need to tell someone what's going on. What, that we conjured a ghost and now it's killing us? If anything scares you, hit it in the skull. If someone dies in a bad way, the energy imprints on the surroundings. And if you're sensitive, you can pick up on it. Hope you don't make me regret our decision to enroll you. That was Seance from writer director Simon Barrett. If you didn't quite pick up the plot, 
Following a mysterious death on campus, a group of boarding school girls gather to learn the truth by conjuring spirits. What follows is a series of brutal quote-unquote accidents and the legacy of a murdered girl still living in the dorms. Now, Clayton, you know, you've had the chance to sit down and talk with the director. I really want to know your feelings first and foremost. It's always really interesting to talk to a director about a film that you've seen and the way that that actually influences how you feel about the film as well, which I know you experienced when you were talking to Neil Blomkamp about Demonic. Mm. So um, in this case, like, um, same sort of situation. He made it during lockdown. Um, They kind of had all these restrictions because of lockdown. And, yeah, somehow they still found a boarding house. Um, But, uh, yeah, I... I think I enjoyed this film a lot more than you two did, just some from conversations. But I thought it was kind of just a fun piece. Um, I don't think it was anything earth-shattering or groundbreaking. But overall, it was just a film you could just sit down, watch, and enjoy. So it's not anything that's going to get your brain going too fast. So this is something you watch because it's a bunch of friends fart-assing around and deciding, hey, let's make a scary movie. Yeah, more or less, kind of, which is, you know, how the world rolls at the moment, really. I mean, Tamsin, how does that reflect on your feelings toward watching this film? So I almost turned it off in the first 30 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big complete, like, I'm sorry, I'm just going to put it out there if you're listening. Um, I just, uh, (laughs) there's only so many, I mean, you know, Black Black Easter, Black Christmas, Um, you know, this boarding school girls, you know, beating each other up and bullying each other. And I don't know, I really hope boarding schools have come further than that. Um, And I just found it very cliche, very everything we've seen before. But then it it picked itself up a bit. The the character, the main characters became stronger and um, there was a bit of change of pace halfway through. So uh, I hung until the end and, yeah, it, it got... It won me over without having to interview directors. <laughs> I mean, there's there's cliches and then there's cliches done well. And I don't think they were done particularly well here, but I did find myself enamored by the actors and the enthusiasm they brought their their mean girl characters. Um, you know, they they definitely brought an enthusiasm to it. The, the very least you can kind of watch and go, oh, they're having fun. So, you know, like, and, and Clayton just telling me that this is, you know, friends making making a screwball film of their own. You know, that, that you know, in hindsight, we go, yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see how that would be a lot of fun to make. I got a definite Buffy vibe from the main character. She didn't quite have the superpowers, but she sort of had that sort of the same sort of I'm here to kick ass sort of mentality, which was great. Um, and I did kind of like that the bullies and the victims had to kind of work together to solve a problem, which um, they still were not nice to each other, but they were actually working together because they had to. There, there is that great character tension that goes on. I was definitely feeling that between the new girl, her friend, and, you know, the, the mean girls, the old guard. And, and, you know, even the, the headmistress as well, you know, the, the character who invariably buries her head and is like, nothing nasty is happening here. It's all, it's all a series of accidents. 
It follows the tropes by the letter. You know, I, I'm curious to know what you thought of the performances, Tamsin. As, I think the performances got better. It was it was like they were, you know, they were cold to each other as they came in and then even the ones that were meant to be mates got more better at being mates towards the towards the end and the the it seemed to mature we watched we watched some actors who we haven't seen before who i think potentially have some up and coming roles um really grow into the space that they were delivering mm-hmm. one problem i had with this film as i've come to more enjoy horror as a genre is that what you really crave is a creative kill and something unique that horrifies or scares you. At times this felt a bit PG because, you know, while there were scenes where you actually do see someone being cut open, for example, there's also moments where they just cut away and you see a blood splatter and you know, it could be a PG film and, you know, it's less than satisfying, even if it's, you know, funny for someone to make. Clayton. Uh, So interestingly, this Simon Barrett has been heavily involved in the VHS series, which definitely has like a series of very creative kills throughout. (laughs) So, and very, very graphic. So this is kind of his... Um, more accessible material, I think. So, yeah, VHS is a great series. We're going to talk about the new VHS film soon. Um, but in this case, yeah, it was surprising that everything was kind of that dialed back. I feel like more made for teenagers even. Is Simon going to be involved in the new VHS? He wrote and direct one of the segments, um, and he's actually been involved in that process from the start. Um, so my interview actually covers VHS as well. Yeah, at the time, um, I have not had the chance to listen to the interview as yet. I'm Mm. going to retroactively go back in time and listen to this before this segment right now. And time works weird right now. Absolutely. And, you know, timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly. Wibbly-wobbly, (laughs) timey-wimey. I, I can definitely see this as a you know a gateway drug for for young horror fans getting into it, especially you know people who do love like the the Mean Girls kind of stories. Because you know even though like you said, Tamsin, you hope that real life boarding schools aren't like this. It's still fun to watch, and it's still a great vehicle to create that character tension. And it definitely the character tension was there all the way through. So with ghosts is actually a really good way to describe this film. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, And just, you know know what, you you have the ghost who's just like, you know what, I hate you all. Like if I have to be murdered, then so do the rest of you. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I, okay. I'm going to, how many, oh, what's a, what's a good thing to rate this out of? Um, How many hole passes? How many hall passes are you going to give this out of 10? Tam's uh, up. Okay. I'm going to go six. Enjoyable, but not my enjoyable. Clayton. I'm going to go seven, I'd say. Do you want to elaborate? Uh, yes. I just found I had a bit of fun with it. Um, talking to um, 
Simon sort of put the film, made a film even better, I think, for me. So, yeah, I'm going solid seven. I'm going to have to give it a six for myself. It's something that you can, you know, put on when you're bored, even watch in the background. It's, you know, silly slasher fun. You know, just just a thing, you know, like nothing special to write home about, but I think it was just something they, like like you said, they made for fun. And, yeah. you know, it's good, it's good to just watch people having fun being silly, enjoying their craft. That's pretty much what YouTube is for. <laughs> <laughs> Seance comes out on Shudder September 29th. That's later this week. Folks, when we come back, we're going to be talking why The Last Man Don't Go Anywhere. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.